section 18 of Lives of the Saints with Reflections for Every Day of the Year by Rev. Alban Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. September 1st, St. Giles, Abbot. St. Giles, whose name has been held in great veneration for several ages in France and England, is said to have been an Athenian by birth and of noble extraction. His extraordinary piety and learning drew the admiration of the world upon him in such a manner that it was impossible for him to enjoy in his own country that obscurity and retirement which was the chief object of his desires on earth. He therefore sailed to France, and chose a hermitage first in the open deserts near the mouth of the Rhone, afterward near the river Gard, and lastly in a forest in the diocese of Nismes. He passed many years in this close solitude, living on wild herbs or roots and water, and conversing only with God. We read in his life that he was for some time nourished with the milk of a hind in the forest, which, being pursued by hunters, fled for refuge to the saint, who was thus discovered. The reputation of the sanctity of this holy hermit was much increased by many miracles which he wrought, and which rendered his name famous throughout all France. St. Giles was highly esteemed by the French king, but could not be prevailed upon to forsake his solitude. He, however, admitted several disciples, and settled excellent discipline in the monastery of which he was the founder, and which, in succeeding ages, became a flourishing abbey of the Benedictine order. Reflection He who accompanies the exercises of contemplation and arduous penance with zealous and undaunted endeavors to conduct others to the same glorious turn with himself shall be truly great in the kingdom of heaven. September 2nd, St. Stephen, King Gisa, fourth Duke of Hungary, was, with his wife, converted to the faith, and saw in a vision the martyr St. Stephen, who told him that he should have a son, who would perfect the work he had begun. This son was born in 977, and received the name of Stephen, he was most carefully educated, and succeeded his father at an early age. He began to root out idolatry, suppress the rebellion of his pagan subjects, and founded monasteries and churches all over the land. He sent to Pope Sylvester, begging him to appoint bishops to the eleven sees he had endowed, and to bestow on him, for the greater success of his work, the title of king. The Pope granted his requests, and sent him a cross to be borne before him, saying that he regarded him as a true apostle of his people. His devotion was fervent. He placed his realms under the protection of our Blessed Lady, and kept the feast of her assumption with peculiar affection. He gave good laws and saw to their execution. Throughout his life, we are told, he had Christ on his lips, Christ in his heart, and Christ in all he did. His only wars were wars of defense, and he was always successful. God sent him many in sore trial, one by one his children died, but he bore all with perfect submission to the will of God. When St. Stephen was about to die, he summoned the bishops and nobles and gave them charge concerning the choice of a successor. Then he urged them to nurture and cherish the Catholic Church, which was still as a tender plant in Hungary, to follow justice, humility, and charity, to be obedient to the laws, and to show ever a reverent submission to the Holy See. Then, raising his eyes towards heaven, he said, O Queen of Heaven, august restorer of a prostrate world, to thy care I commend the Holy Church, my people, and my realm, 
and my own departing soul. And then, on his favorite feast of the Assumption, in 1038, he died in peace. Reflection Our duty, says Father Newman, is to follow the Vicar of Christ whither he goeth, and never to desert him, however we may be tried, but to defend him at all hazards and against all comers, as a son would a father, and as a wife a husband, knowing that his cause is the cause of God. September 3rd, St. Seraphia, Virgin and Martyr St. Seraphia was born at Antioch, of Christian parents, who, flying from the persecutions of Adrian, went to Italy and settled there. Her parents dying, Seraphia was sought in marriage by many, but having resolved to consecrate herself to God alone, she sold all her possessions and distributed the proceeds to the poor. Finally she sold herself into a voluntary slavery and into the services of a Roman lady named Sabina. The piety of Seraphia, her love of work, and her charity soon gained the heart of her mistress, who was not long in becoming a Christian. Having been denounced as a follower of Christ, Seraphia was condemned to death. She was at first placed on a burning pile, but remained uninjured by the flames. Almost despairing of being able to inflict death upon her, the prefect Berylus ordered her to be beheaded, and she thus received the crown which she so richly merited. Her mistress gathered her remains and interred them with every mark of respect. Sabina, meeting with the martyr's death a year after, was laid in the same tomb with her faithful servant. As early as the 5th century, there was a church at Rome placed under their invocation. Reflection Christian courage bears relation to our faith. If we continue in the faith, grounded and settled and immovable, all things will be found possible to us. September 4th, St. Rosalia, Virgin St. Rosalia was daughter of a noble family descended from Charlemagne. She was born at Palermo, in Sicily, and despising in her youth worldly vanities, made herself an abode in a cave on Mount Pellegrino, three miles from Palermo, where she completed the sacrifice of her heart to God by austere penance and manual labor, sanctified by assiduous prayer and the constant union of her soul with God. She died in 1160. Her body was found buried in a grot under the mountain in the year of the Jubilee, 1625, under Pope Urban VIII, and was translated into the Metropolitan Church of Palermo, of which she was chosen a patroness. To her patronage, that island ascribes the ceasing of a grievous pestilence at the same time. St. Rose of Viterbo, who was honored on the same day, was born in the spring of 1240, a time when Frederick II was oppressing the church, and many were faithless to the Holy See. The infant at once seemed filled with grace. With tottering steps she sought Jesus in his tabernacle. She knelt before sacred images. She listened to pious talk, retaining all she heard, and this when she was scarcely three years old. One coarse habit covered her flesh. Fasts and disciplines were her delight. To defend the church's right was her burning wish, and for this she received her mission from the Mother of God, who gave her the Franciscan habit with the command to go forth and preach. When hardly ten years old, Rose went down to the public square of Viterbo, called upon the inhabitants to be faithful to the sovereign pontiff, and vehemently denounced all his opponents. So great was the power of her word, and of the miracles which accompanied it, that the imperial party, in fear and anger, drove her from the city, but she continued to preach till Innocent the Fourth was brought back in triumph to Rome 
and the cause of God was won. Then she retired to a little cell at Viterbo, and prepared in solitude for her end. She died in her eighteenth year. Not long after, she appeared in glory to Alexander the Fourth, and bade him translate her body. He found it as the vision had said, but fragrant and beautiful as if still in life. Reflection Rose lived but seventeen years, saved the church's cause, and died a saint. We have lived, perhaps much longer, and yet with what result? Every minute something can be done for God. Let us be up and doing. September 5th, St. Lawrence Justinian Lawrence from a child longed to be a saint, and when he was nineteen years of age there was granted to him a vision of the eternal wisdom. All earthly things paled in his eyes before the ineffable beauty of this sight, and as it faded away a void was left in his heart which none but God could fill. Refusing the honor of a brilliant marriage, he fled secretly from his home at Venice and joined the canons regular of St. George. One by one he crushed every natural instinct which could bar his union with his love. When Lawrence first entered religion, a nobleman went to dissuade him from the folly of thus sacrificing every earthly prospect. The young monk listened patiently and turned to his friend's affectionate appeal, scorn, and violent abuse. Calmly and kindly he then replied. He pointed out the shortness of life, the uncertainty of earthly happiness, and the incomparable superiority of the prize he sought to any his friend had named. The nobleman could make no answer. He felt in truth that Lawrence was wise, himself the fool. He left the world, became a fellow novice with the saint, and his holy death bore every mark that he too had secured the treasures which never fail. As superior and as general, Lawrence enlarged and strengthened his order, and as bishop of his diocese, in spite of slander and insult, thoroughly reformed his see. His zeal led to his being appointed the first patriarch of Venice, but he remained ever in heart and soul, a humble priest, thirsting for the sight of heaven. At length the eternal vision began to dawn. Are you laying a bed of feathers for me? he said. Not so. My lord was stretched on a hard and painful tree. Laid upon the straw, he exclaimed in rapture, Good Jesus, behold I come. He died in 1435, age 74. Reflection Ask St. Lawrence to vouchsafe you such a sense of the sufficiency of God that you too may fly to him and be at rest. September 6th, St. Eulatherius, Abbot Wonderful simplicity and spirit of compunction were the distinguishing virtues of this holy man. He was chosen abbot of St. Mark's near Spoleto, and favored by God with the gift of miracles. A child who was possessed by the devil, being delivered by being educated in his monastery, the abbot said one day, Since the child is among the servants of God, the devil dares not approach him. These words seemed to savor of vanity, and thereupon the devil again entered and tormented the child. The abbot humbly confessed his fault, and fasted and prayed with his whole community till the child was again freed from the tyranny of the fiend. St. Gregory the Great, not being able to fast on Easter Eve on account of extreme weakness, engaged this saint to go with him to the church of St. Andrews and put up his prayers to God for his health, that he might join the faithful in that solemn practice of penance. Eulatherius prayed with many tears, and the Pope, coming out of the church, found his breast suddenly strengthened, so that he was enabled to perform the fast he desired. 
St. Eleutherius raised the dead man to life. Resigning his abbacy, he died in St. Andrew's Monastery in Rome about the year 585. Reflection Appear not to men to fast, but to thy Father who is in heaven, and thy Father, who seeth in secret, he will repay thee. September 7th, St. Cloud, Confessor St. Cloud is the first and most illustrious saint among the princes of the royal family of the first race of France. He was the son of Claudemore, king of Orleans, the eldest son of St. Clotilda, and was born in 522. He was scarce three years old when his father was killed in Burgundy, but his grandmother Clotilda brought him up and his two brothers at Paris and loved them extremely. Their ambitious uncles divided the kingdom of Orleans between them and stabbed with their own hands two of their nephews. Cloud, by a special providence, was saved from the massacre, and renouncing the world, devoted himself to the service of God in a monastic state. After a time he put himself under the discipline of St. Severinus, a holy recluse who lived near Paris, from whose hands he received the monastic habit. Wishing to live unknown to the world, he withdrew secretly into Provence, but his hermitage being made public, he returned to Paris, and was received with the greatest joy imaginable. At the earnest request of the people, he was ordained priest by Eusebius, bishop of Paris, in 551, and served that church some time in the functions of the sacred ministry. He afterward retired to St. Cloud, two leagues below Paris, where he built a monastery. Here he assembled many pious men, who fled out of the world for fear of losing their souls in it. St. Cloud was regarded by them as their superior, and he animated them to all virtue both by word and example. He was indefatigable in instructing and exhorting the people of the neighboring country, and piously ended his days about the year 560. Reflection Let us remember that the just shall live for evermore, they shall receive a kingdom of glory, and a crown of beauty at the hand of the Lord. September 8th, The Nativity of the Blessed Virgin The birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary announced joy in the near approach of salvation to the lost world. Mary was brought forth in the world, not like other children of Adam, infected with the loathsome contagion of sin, but pure, holy, beautiful, and glorious, adorned with all the most precious graces which became her who was chosen to be the mother of God. She appeared indeed in the weak state of her mortality, but in the eyes of heaven she already transcended the highest seraph, in purity, brightness, and the richest ornament of grace. If we celebrate the birthdays of the Great One of this earth, how ought we to rejoice in that of the Virgin Mary, presenting to God the best homage of our praises, and thanksgiving for the great mercies he has shown in her, and imploring her mediation with her son in our behalf. Christ will not reject the supplications of his mother, whom he was pleased to obey whilst on earth. Her love, care, and tenderness for him, the titles and qualities which she bears, the charity and graces with which she is adorned, and the crown of glory with which she is honored, must incline him readily to receive her recommendations and petitions. The Festival on the Sunday within the octave for her nativity of the holy name of Mary. This festival was appointed by Pope Innocent XI, that on it the faithful may be called upon in a particular manner to recommend to God, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin, the necessities of his church, 
and to return him thanks for his gracious protection and numberless mercies. What gave occasion to the institution of this feast was a solemn thanksgiving for the relief of Vienna, when it was besieged by the Turks in 1683. If we desire to deprecate the divine anger, justly provoked by our sins, with our prayers, we must join the tears of sincere compunction with a perfect conversion of our manners. The first grace we should always beg of God is that he will bring us to the disposition of condign penance. Our supplications for the divine mercies and our thanksgivings for benefits received will only thus be rendered acceptable. By no other means can we deserve the blessing of God or be recommended to it by the patronage of his holy mother. To the invocation of Jesus it is a pious and wholesome practice to join our application to the Blessed Virgin, that through her intercession we may more easily and more abundantly obtain the effects of our petitions. In this sense, devout souls pronounce with great affection and confidence the holy names of Jesus and Mary. September 9th, St. Omer, Bishop St. Omer was born toward the close of the 6th century in the territory of Constance. His parents, who were noble and wealthy, gave great attention to his education, but, above all, strove to inspire him with a love for virtue. Upon the death of his mother, he entered the monastery of Luxen, whither he persuaded his father to follow him, after having sold his worldly goods and distributed the proceeds among the poor. The father and son made their religious profession together. The humility, obedience, mildness, and devotion, together with the admirable purity of manners, which shone forth in every action of St. Omer, distinguished him among his saintly brethren, and he was soon called from his solitude to take charge of the government of the church in Teruene. The greater part of those living in his diocese were still pagans, and even the few Christians were, through a scarcity of priests, fallen into a sad corruption of manners. The great and difficult work of their conversion was reserved for St. Omer. The holy bishop applied himself to his task with such zeal that in a short time his diocese became one of the most flourishing in France. In his old age, St. Omer became blind, but that affliction did not lessen his pastoral concern for his flock. He died in the odor of sanctity while on a pastoral visit to Wavre in 670. St. Peter Claver Peter Claver was a Spanish Jesuit. In Majorca, he fell in with the holy lay brother, Alphonsus Rodriguez, who, having already learned by revelation the saintly career of Peter, became his spiritual guide, foretold to him the labors he would undergo in the Indies and the throne he would gain in heaven. Ordained priest in New Granada, Peter was sent to Cartagena, the great slave market of the West Indies, and there he consecrated himself by vow to the salvation of those ignorant and miserable creatures. For more than forty years he labored in this work. He called himself the slave of the slaves. He was their apostle, father, physician, and friend. He fed them, nursed them with the utmost tenderness in their lonesome diseases, often applying his own lips to their hideous sores. His cloak, which was the constant covering of the naked, though soiled with their filthy ulcers, sent forth a miraculous perfume. His rest after his great labors was in nights of penance and prayer. However tired he might be, when news arrived of a fresh slave ship, St. Peter immediately revived, his eyes brightened, and he was at once on board amongst his dear slaves, bringing them comfort for body and soul. A false charge of reiterating baptism for a while stopped his work. He submitted without a murmur till the calumny was refuted, 
and then god so blessed his toil that forty thousand negroes were baptized before he went to his reward in sixteen fifty four reflection when you see any one standing in need of your assistance either for body or soul do not ask yourself why someone else did not help him but think to yourself that you have found a treasure september tenth st nicholas of tolentino born in answer to the prayer of a holy mother and vowed before his birth to the service of god nicholas never lost his baptismal innocence his austerities were conspicuous even in the austere order the hermits of st augustine to which he belonged and to the remonstrances which were made by his superiors he only replied how can i be said to fast while every morning at the altar i receive my god he conceived an ardent charity for the holy souls so near and yet so far from their saviour and often after his mass it was revealed to him that the souls for whom he had offered the holy sacrifice had been admitted to the presence of god amidst his loving labors for god and man he was haunted by fear of his own sinfulness the heavens said he are not pure in the sight of him whom i serve how then shall i a sinful man stand before him as he pondered on these things mary the queen of all saints appeared before him fear not nicholas she said all is well with you my son bears you in his heart and i am your protection then his soul was at rest and he heard we are told the songs which the angels sing in the presence of their lord he died september tenth thirteen ten reflection would you die the death of the just there is only one way to secure the fulfillment of your wish live the life of the just for it is impossible that one who has been faithful to god in life should make a bad or an unhappy end september eleventh st paphnutius bishop the holy confessor paphnutius was an egyptian and after having spent several years in the desert under the direction of the great st antony was made bishop in upper thebes he was one of those confessors who under the tyrant maximin de aya lost their right eye and were afterwards sent to work in the mines peace being restored to the church st paphnutius returned to his flock the arian heresy being broached in egypt he was one of the most zealous in defending the catholic faith and for his eminent sanctity and the glorious title of confessor or one who had confessed the faith before the persecutors and under torments was highly considered in the great council of nice constantine the great during the celebration of that synod sometimes conferred privately with him in his palace and never dismissed him without kissing respectfully the place which had once held the eye he had lost for the faith st paphnutius remained always in a close union with st athanasius and accompanied him to the council of tyre in three thirty five where they found much the greater part of the assembly to be professed arians seeing maximus bishop of jerusalem among them paphnutius took him by the hand led him out and told him he could not see that any one who bore the same marks as he in defence of the faith should be seduced and imposed upon by persons who were resolved to oppress the most strenuous asserter of its fundamental article we have no particular account of the death of st paphnutius but his name stands in the roman martyrology on the eleventh of september reflection if to fight for our country be glorious it is likewise great glory to follow the lord saith the wise man september twelfth st guy of anderlecht as a child guy had two loves the church and the poor 
the love of prayer growing more and more he left his poor home at brussels to seek greater poverty and closer union with god he arrived at laken near brussels and there showed such devotion before our lady's shrine that the priest besought him to stay and serve the church thenceforth his great joy was to be always in the church sweeping the floor and ceiling polishing the altars and cleansing the sacred vessels by day he still found time and means to befriend the poor so that his almsgiving became famous in all those parts a merchant of brussels hearing of the generosity of this poor sacristan came to laken and offered him a share in his business guy could not bear to leave the church but the offer seemed providential and he at last closed with it their ship however was lost in the first voyage and on returning to laken guy found his place filled the rest of his life was one of long penance for his inconstancy about the year ten thirty three finding his end at hand he returned to anderlecht in his own country as he died a light shone round him and a voice was heard proclaiming his eternal reward reflection jesus was only nine months in the womb of mary three hours on the cross three days in the sepulchre but he is always in the tabernacle does our reverence before him bear witness to this most blessed truth september thirteenth st eulogius patriarch of alexandria st eulogius was a syrian by birth and while young embraced the monastic state in that country the eutychian heresy had thrown the churches of syria and egypt into much confusion and a great part of the monks of syria were at that time become remarkable for their loose morals and errors against faith eulogius learned from the fall of others to stand more watchfully and firmly upon his guard and was not less distinguished by the innocence and sanctity of his manners than by the purity of his doctrine having by an enlarged pursuit of learning attained to a great variety of useful knowledge in the different branches of literature he set himself to the study of divinity in the sacred sources of that science which are the holy scriptures the tradition of the church as explained in its councils and the approved writings of its eminent pastors in the great dangers and necessities of the church he was drawn out of his solitude and made priest of antioch by the patriarch st anastasius upon the death of john the patriarch of alexandria eulogius was raised to that patriarchal dignity toward the close of the year 583 about two years after his promotion our saint was obliged to make a journey to constantinople in order to concert measures concerning certain affairs of his church he met at court st gregory the great and contracted with him a holy friendship so that from that time they seemed to be one heart and one soul among the letters of st gregory we have several extant which he wrote to our saint st eulogius composed many excellent works against different heresies and died in the year 606 reflection we admire the great actions and the glorious triumphs of the saints yet it is not so much in these that their sanctity consisted as in the constant habitual heroic disposition of their souls there is no one who does not sometimes do good actions but he can never be called virtuous who does well only by humor or by fits and starts not by steady habits september fourteenth the exaltation of the holy cross of our lord jesus christ constantine was still wavering between christianity and idolatry when a luminous cross appeared to him in the heavens bearing the inscription in this sign shalt thou conquer he became a christian and triumphed over his enemies who were at the same time the enemies of the faith a few years later his saintly mother having found the cross on which our saviour suffered 
the feast of the exaltation was established in the church but it was only at a later period still namely after the emperor heraclius had achieved three great and wondrous victories over chosroes king of persia who had possessed himself of the holy and precious relic that this festival took a more general extension and was invested with a higher character of solemnity the feast of the finding was thereupon instituted in memory of the discovery made by st helena and that of the exaltation was reserved to celebrate the triumphs of heraclius the greatest power of the catholic world was at that time centred in the empire of the east and was verging toward its ruin when god put forth his hand to save it the re-establishment of the great cross at jerusalem was the sure pledge thereof this great event occurred in 629 reflection herein is found the accomplishment of the saviour's word if i be lifted up from the earth i will draw all things to myself september fifteenth st catherine of genoa noble in birth rich and exceedingly beautiful catherine had as a child rejected the solicitations of the world and begged her divine master for some share in his sufferings at sixteen years of age she found herself promised in marriage to a young nobleman of dissolute habits who treated her with such harshness that after five years wearied out by his cruelty she somewhat relaxed the strictness of her life and entered into the worldly society of genoa at length enlightened by divine grace as to the danger of her state she resolutely broke with the world and gave herself up to a life of rigorous penance and prayer the charity with which she devoted herself to the services of the hospitals undertaking the vilest of offices with joy induced her husband to amend his evil ways and he died penitent her heroic fortitude was sustained by the constant thought of the holy souls whose sufferings were revealed to her and whose state she had described in a treatise full of heavenly wisdom a long and grievous malady during the last years of her life only served to perfect her union with god till worn out in body and purified in soul she breathed her last on september fourteenth fifteen ten reflection the constant thought of purgatory will help us not only to escape its dreadful pains but also to avoid the least imperfection which hinders our approach to god end of section eighteen recording by maria therese